Greetings. Welcome to another Truth Factor discussion. We are continuing in our study of the Gospel of Luke. Here in a little bit, we will begin with chapter, or continue with chapter 22. Let me bring everybody up to speed. We've been off uh, air, if you would, for the last week or so. We're trying to, here's what we were facing uh, coming towards the end of the year. We were needing to try to finish up the Gospel of Luke but we were beginning to run out of weeks in conjunction with uh, the length of the chapters. And we had thought about trying to squeeze it all in before the third Wednesday of December, which would, which would have been our last, last one for the year. But we just got to a point to where there was just really no way of doing the last two chapters, not to mention the last part of chapter 22, uh, proper justice. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to finish up chapter 22 today, and then we will take a break. We won't have any weekly studies until, I think it's January the 9th, I believe. I meant to double check that. Yes, January 9th. January 9th. Thank you, Tom. Yeah. And so what we'll do come January 9th, we'll pick up with Luke chapter 23, and then we'll go on with our regular studies. Instead of taking a break between Luke and our next study, which is Acts, we'll just go straight into it. And so uh, when we're done with the today's study, it'll be the last one until January the 9th, 2019. That's when we will continue this. So thank you so much for joining us for our study today. Paul, if you would, let everybody know what they can do to or how they can participate in today's discussion. Well, there's a number of ways that you can engage with us, and we'd love for you to do that and to be a part of our study in that way. Uh, if you go to our YouTube page, which is Truth Factor Live, uh, you can uh, ask comments and make, uh, let's see, I did that wrong. You can ask questions and make comments uh, in the chat that's available there. You can do the same on our YouTube uh, video, and so we are live on YouTube. And you can comment on that video. Uh, I believe it is also Truth Factor Live. And we have a Twitter handle, Truth Factor, that you can uh, make use of if you'd like to do that. You can also go to uh, truthfactor.com, live viewing page, and there is the option there to make comments as well. Uh, personally, I find the easiest one to be just to use the YouTube page because it has a really nice chat feature there. But uh, whatever you would prefer, uh, please just engage with us in our Bible study today. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that very much. All righty, let's turn the study over to Tom, who will host the last part of Luke chapter 22. Okay, and and good morning. And, and uh, uh, John, I want to thank you for taking over la uh, the last time we were together with the things we were dealing with. Of course, in these last three chapters of Luke, we're dealing with uh, basically the final days of Jesus uh, uh, leading up to his crucifixion and so on. And where we left off last time was uh, Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. And we also dealt with Jesus as the disciples go with him to the garden. And uh, he has with him, uh, at he, he may have had more, but at least three that were closer. And uh, uh, they sleep as Jesus goes to pray. And of course, he prays, not in my will, yours be done. And then that brings us to verse 47, where we are going to begin our study today, and we're actually going to divide the rest of this chapter into, into three different sections. We're going to talk about the betrayal of Jesus, the denial of Jesus, and then we're going to talk about the trial of Jesus, or the Jewish phase of the trial of Jesus. And so our first section is verses 47 through 53. And uh, if I could go ahead, uh, Brian, could I get you to read that for us? Absolutely. Uh, I'll be reading... Uh... Um, uh, Luke chapter 22, verses 47 through 53 in the New King James Version. So let me get that pulled up on my computer too. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude. And he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, Shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, Permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. 
Then Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temple, and the elders who had come to him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Okay, so so we find in this particular text here uh, the betrayal of Jesus, which is one of the more familiar events in his life, one of the more common. And there's there there's uh, there are certainly lessons that we can learn from this. And uh, looking to the audience, uh, as we have been doing, just kind of to get audience participation. The question that I'd like to ask you all about this section is: as we talk about this. Uh, is it possible for us to be guilty of betraying Jesus today? And and what are some ways that we can do that? So so give cons some consideration to that, and we'll get back to that in just, just a few moments. But as we begin this particular section here, we find that Jesus is speaking to, to his disciples who have been sleeping, and he says, watch and pray lest you enter into, into temptation. Uh, we're told here that a multitude comes out, uh, to arrest him, and I think Matthew's account tells us that that there was uh, you know, this was uh, basically the 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 uh, the guard, the temple guard was there, and you you have a large contingency contingency. It's it it just seems like they were preparing for a fight. You know, they were expecting that there was going to be some kind of a a major confrontation here. Uh, I don't know if this, I don't know what the purpose of the show of force was, uh, uh, was other than anticipating things or, or whatever. But uh, we find as this takes place uh, that Judas, who had agreed to betray him, he draws near Jesus to kiss him. And then what, is, uh, what does Jesus say to Judas? And what does this indicate? Anybody? Well, Jesus, uh, I can help you out there. He says, Judas, are you betraying the son of a kiss? And so when you uh, look at that, uh, certainly uh, what ought to be a, a uh, sign of affection uh, is actually a betrayal. And I think as I jumped in there, I jumped right on Brian. And so, Brian, what were you going to say? Uh, just about the same thing. Uh, it does seem to indicate, though, that Jesus understood exactly what the circumstances of what was going on. Jesus yeah. knew why Judas was there. Um, you do wonder if maybe the other apostles didn't understand why Judas was there with these people. Uh, they don't seem to confront Judas about it, but Jesus goes directly to Judas, uh, points uh, him as the as the one who has betrayed him. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's exactly right. I, I think it's John's account where Jesus sends Judas out, uh, you know, go do what you're about to, ju to do. Clearly, Jesus was fully understanding exactly what was happening, and and uh, uh, this was probably directed more at Judas to to kind of remind Judas, you know, uh, uh, what you're doing here, uh, you are guilty, <laughs> and and of course he will realize his guilt as a uh, as a result of this. But Jesus doesn't do anything else other than that, which is kind of interesting. Uh, as a matter of fact, he he actually uh, turns his discussion toward the rest of the mob on this particular occasion. And we'll deal with what he asks them in a moment. But but in, in the meantime, in verse 49, uh, uh, what question do those who are with Jesus ask him? Uh, and uh, what happens here? Paul, you want to cover that? Or? Uh, sure. You're looking at verse 49. Uh, it's interesting that he... Uh, sees the crowd there, and uh, they're wanting to know uh, what the right response is. You know, is this, uh, should we uh, basically uh, start a, a, an insurrection ag against this? Should we, uh, should we fight back? You know, is this going to be where, you know, this great conflict uh, is going to take place? It was a different kind of conflict than they expected, and they thought, well, maybe this is where it is. Maybe this is what's going to happen. Uh, and, and as I look at that, Tom, I was thinking about that and uh, what what they're uh, endeavoring to do. And, you know, Jesus, uh, I don't know if we observed that in our study or or someone else, but where from where the Garden of Gethsemane is, uh, it's probably reasonable to think that Jesus would have been able to see this mob crossing over the valley, uh, a mob coming with torches 
and clubs, and he's telling them to not to be sleeping, but to be ready for this. And so Jesus, you know, he's he knows what's going on, as Brian mentioned, Judas. And as we look at that, we also see that um, that he knew what was going on with the crowd as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, and, and that's exactly what you see here. Uh, one of the things that kind of comes to my mind with this, and I think that we need to factor this into this entire section, is is there's a lot of emotions taking place here. And uh, uh, we're very quick to criticize the failures of the apostles, and, and rightfully so. I, I mean, it, it's good to note those things. But realize that there's a lot of confusion going on here. I'm talking in their minds, as far as we know, they don't know what's going on. I mean, I mean, you, you think about the previous section where Jesus says, "Okay, go buy a sword now," and and they say, "Oh, we got two swords," and, and Jesus, "Okay, it's enough," and and we don't even know what the tone of Jesus saying that to to the disciples. But there's a great confusion here, and and we find them willing to fight with Jesus with Jesus and for Jesus to the death. Uh, if, if that what is, what is, what's necessary on this particular occasion. So, so they seek authorization. Is this now the time for us to engage in this fight? And of course, of course we know that Peter does engage in the fight. Uh, as John actually names him as the one that struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Um, and of course, his name, and again, that's recorded in John 18 and in verse number 10, uh, the name of that servant was Malchus. So, so John goes on and actually puts an actual name to, to the event that happens here and describes it in more detail. But what is remarkable, and only Luke records this, is Jesus answers, basically, put away your sword. I think Matthew says, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. But then Jesus says, permit even this. And it says that he touched the ear of Malchus and healed him. And uh, uh, that's just an incredible thing to think about. You know, here, here you have uh, the enemy, uh, the enemy that has come out. And one of them, uh, there's been an attempt on his life. And, and I personally don't think that Peter was aiming for his ear. You know, I... <laughs> I, I, I think he was aiming a little more center, and what happened, I don't know, he, whether he ducked uh, or, or wh whatever. All he got was the ear. But Jesus heals Malchus on this occasion. Uh, and could you imagine being Malchus as this takes place? And again, the, the mixture of emotions uh, that are happening here as, as he has this traumatic event, and then Jesus just touches him and heals him. How is he not going to know who Jesus is? Which, which is what I find interesting there. So any we, thoughts? We saw before that... Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, maybe I messed up there. Uh, anyway, we saw before that uh, Jesus talked to them about taking a sword, and they had two. And so of the two swords, it appears that... Uh, Peter would be one of the ones who wanted to carry a sword, uh, you know, in uh, their their interaction uh, here, which uh, is typical with the things that we have seen of Peter's personality. Right. Yeah. Exactly. He sometimes he's he's described as one of the impetuous ones. You know, I, I mean, he was definitely a leader and those types of things. Any other thoughts on this? You know, one thing, Tom, that comes to my mind is that, and maybe this actually steps to your next point too, but it must have been very disheartening for Jesus's disciples. I agree with you when you say that, that we putting ourselves in their uh, in their shoes for a moment. What what happened here was so unbelievable that here this big mob comes. Finally, the big fight that everybody's kind of known was going to happen. There's been all this this fight has been brewing for years, and and here we are. And the Bible says there's a multitude of Jesus's disciples at some point uh, as it talks about these things. And it doesn't mean more than the other, but but they're ready to go. And Jesus surrenders. Uh, he just gives up without a yeah. fight. And just what a what a shocking moment that must be that they, here they are. They're ready to go. And Jesus just goes with them. He says, we're not going to fight. He goes with them. And, you know, that must have just taken all of the all of the wind out of their sails, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, ex exactly. Which would which would be some of the confusion that you have there. 
and 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 it's interesting that again that's the only thing that we see jesus dealing with his disciples but then we find the other interesting response on this occasion where jesus replies to the chief priests the captains of the temple and the elders and what does he say to them as recorded in Luke, and, and the reason I say that is you look at the four Gospels, there's a little bit, there are some other things that he said in addition to this. But what do we have recorded here? What, what does he say to them? You know, verses 52 and 3. Brian? Or yeah, so he, uh, he, first of all, he says, you're coming out to arrest me as though I'm some kind of violent uh, criminal. You know, he says, you've got uh, clubs and swords. And he says, you could have arrested me any time you wanted. I was in your authority. I was in your realm. But he says, instead, here you are in the middle of the night. He says, that's because you have the power of darkness, which, yeah. of course, is, is kind of inferring the idea that this is a satanic uh, uh, or, or, or just a truly evil behavior that they're engaging in, that they're, that they're going after Jesus with the power of darkness. Um, Tom, it also could be even a slight indication that some of the laws or the rules of the Sanhedrin, and we're going to be careful here, this is not from the Bible, but this is from what is called the laws of the Sanhedrin in the Jewish Mishnah, required that the trials and things like that occur during the daylight time. So it's not even impossible, too, that some of this relates to that, that, this, that Jesus is also inferring that this is an illegal arrest, that, that they have no legal jurisdiction to be bringing this arrest and then this subsequent trial in the middle of the night. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I totally agree with you. And I think that that, I think that that's a, a, a part of what is being said here. And, and you're absolutely right. As far as I understand that, especially in capital crimes now, now, you know, you know, from the standpoint of arresting somebody in the middle of the night, that might not have been wrong. You know, sometimes the element of surprise uh, is the best way to do something. You know, we understand that with police officers today. But Jesus also knew what they were already scheming, and it's clearly evident by what they do in the next section that they already had their plans ready, and the illegal trial is about to begin, you know, which the illegal trial, which is in the middle of the night, you know, uh, I mean, uh, taken to Annas's house and then, then to Caiaphas and so on. So you have that. Uh, but I, And I also find it interesting, though, that and you made this point, you know, uh, the power of darkness, but I, I find interesting the statement there that this is your hour. This, and another way of saying that might be, uh, this is the way that you're revealing who you really are. You know, and, and, and so, so that's what you have in this statement. And, uh, and what's interesting about this is Jesus does not resist. Everything that's going on is wrong, uh, illegal, it, it could easily be overturned on appeal, uh, those types of things if he wanted to. But Jesus makes these statements and then he willingly submits to them. So, uh, so th that, that's what you have happening here. Uh, and that's what I, my thoughts on that. Does anybody have anything else dealing with uh, this betrayal of Judas? Okay, if not, uh, John... Uh, uh, d d does anybody have any responses to the question, what are some ways that we can be guilty of betraying Jesus today? Yes, Tom, we sure do. Let me, I'm glad you asked that question. Let's see. We have Gregory. He has uh, submitted the following. Let me send it over there and bring it up. Gregory, he says, yes, as far as to the question about whether or not we can betray Jesus today. We are expected to live the lifestyle of Christ. If we modify or act contrary to his will, we will betray him. When we treat with contempt the teachings and sacrifices, sacrifice, that is how we betray him. And, Very and, good point. And amen. That, that, that's a great description of what we're dealing with. We can certainly be guilty of that. Anybody else, John? No, that is all I see there. Let me check our live viewing page yeah and, and, and there's nothing at truth factor yeah there's nothing at truth factor so yeah uh, Tom, you, that uh what, what's being said here the hebrew writer says that when we uh are uh, unfaithful uh we are sinning uh that we are trampling jesus under our feet 
and we are counting the blood, his blood, the blood of the covenant, uh, uh, as a common unclean thing. Uh, and so that would be a, a tremendous betrayal. While Judas uh, delivered him over uh, with a kiss, and while Peter denied him, uh, certainly uh, when we are unfaithful, uh, we, we having known the way of righteousness and we depart from that, uh, that, that is a disrespect, a dishonor, that is a betrayal uh, of both the commitment that we made to the Lord and to the Lord himself. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so you have any time, any time that anyone turns their back on him in whatever way that is, if, if they fall away, which is kind of what you're alluding to, or at least one of the things that would be included in what you're alluding to. Uh, you know, if, if, they, if they fall away, if, if, if they side with those who are the enemies of Jesus, if they don't stand up, you know, if they don't stand up for the truth, and that comes somewhat into the denial. I, I believe that a denial is a way of betraying him, which we're going to get to in a moment. But, but certainly there's many ways that we can be guilty of that. And so we just need to do soul searching as we look at the way that we interact with those who are the enemies of Jesus. And uh, uh, so, so, so good thoughts there. Uh, anybody have any other thoughts before we go to verse 54? I think we're good. Okay, well, if not, yeah, let's go ahead and get, get, get moving on because we still got a lot to cover. So in, in verses 54 through 62, we have uh, Peter's denial of Jesus as Luke records this. And Paul, could I get you to read those verses for me? Sure, uh, we'll read that right now. Uh, Luke 22, 54 through 62. Uh, having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Okay, thank you, Paul, for reading that. Okay, and, and so here, as I said, we have the, we have the denial of, of, of Peter the denial of Christ by Peter uh, on this particular occasion three times, which you, you may recall that Jesus had prophesied or warned him of that. And, and it was actually earlier that evening where, where Jesus actually gave those instructions. Uh, and, and there were some, pre there were some preliminary warnings to that also, even before that, I, I believe as we look at the context, but the, the question that I have for the chat room is very similar to the last one. With, 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 with Judas, we ask, can we be guilty of betraying Jesus? Today, I want to ask, what are some ways that we can be guilty of denying Jesus today? So give consideration to that. Some ways that we can be guilty of denying Jesus. And, and having said that, getting back to our text in verse number 54 here, um, uh, we, we find that Jesus is arrested and he is led away. And what are we told about Peter here in verse 54? He follows at a distance. Yeah, exactly. And, and does anybody have any thoughts uh, on that dealing with uh, the, the subject of temptation? You know, uh, I, I've used this, this uh, text to describe how temptation can happen. And uh, uh, a lot of times where that begins, I think, is associated with this idea of, of following at a distance. Uh, any other thoughts on that or any ideas? Well, Tom, here's something to consider. Um, of all the apostles, only two of them stayed with Christ after, you know, yeah. through this whole process. John, the way John, the Gospel of John is written, 
it looks like John walked with Christ through the whole trial process. Peter wasn't too far away, okay? He just didn't go in with him. He was close enough that a little bit later with that third denial, Jesus will be will look up and they'll catch eyes. You know, so he's within eyesight of Peter. So it may seem initially that Peter's not doing too bad. Maybe they won't let him go with, you know, doesn't, I'm speculating, obviously. Right. Maybe only John was allowed to go with them. And so Peter was doing pretty good following from a distance. But it doesn't right, right. turn out good for him, obviously. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, John's account tells us that as he's following that, and, and you're talking about John being the other one who, who he's never named that. But John 18 and verse uh, 16 talks about how Peter stood outside the door and the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Yeah. So, so, so you have that idea. And, and you've got that from that standpoint. So he doesn't, he doesn't totally abandon Jesus. Uh, but but there is something to be said when we're talking, when we find in scriptures where we're called upon to draw near and, and we need to be as near as we can to him. And, and uh, uh, it's when we start drifting away from him where the dangers come in. When, when, when we start following him at more of a distance rather than closely. And, and, and of course, you you make great points uh, about that, John. And I totally agree with all that stuff. Uh, but I I see this as a, as a warning, regardless of what causes it, uh, or, or or the cause behind it. If we follow at a distance, that's where the danger is going to happen or start. Well, Tom, so you think about what yeah. James says, and and I think you make a very good point there. James says, "Let us draw near unto Him, and He will draw near unto us." James chapter four. Oh, yeah. So sometimes as Christians, we may think we're near, if you would, to the Father, when we're more like Peter, like what you're saying. Yeah. We may be farther away. We're, we don't want to stand too close because it's too rigid and, and it's too many strictness, too much strictness. But if we, we step back just a little bit, we'll have a little bit more freedom. It's kind of like a child. If a child walks right next to his mother as they go through Walmart, the mother watches everything the child does. But if the child steps away, you know, like three or four feet, he might be able to get away with more stuff. And I think you're kind of following what you're saying there. The farther yeah. away we are, the more likely we'll fall to temptation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just see that as the first step or, yeah. or, 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 or a danger. So that's a great point, John. Uh, so any other thoughts there? Well, we see there that uh, I, I'd, I'd say we say a good thing about Peter, as John put it out. That he did follow, but then we see that he followed at a distance, and whether that was, as John pointed out, by choice or not, there's distance between him and the Lord, and so there's an opportunity here. And we see that Peter uh, is some accusations are made against him, or at least toward him. Uh, against might be uh, a judgmental term, uh, as he is sitting among them. Right. Which, which actually would bring me to the next thing that we think about as, as you're mentioning that there. You know, I, I mean, it's one thing to follow at a distance, but what happens when you start associating with the enemy? You know, which, you know, uh, this is the fire of the enemy. And obviously it was cold outside. And I, and I, and I suspect that when Peter, uh, when Peter entered into the group and started warming himself by the fire, he had no clue what was about to happen. You know, you know, he, he wasn't sitting there thinking in his mind, you know what, I, I'm about to be uh, accused of being one of his. Uh, uh, but, uh, and, and again, think of the confusion of the disciples. That, that I mean, you know, I, I, I keep bringing that up, but I see that in this whole, uh, everything that's happening with the disciples, they're, they're in a situation where they're confused. You know, they don't know exactly what's going on and how to deal with this or how to deal with that. Or maybe uncertain would be another word, uh, you know, as far as that. So so he, here's Peter. He's just warming himself. Um, and uh, and then we find the first denial and uh, or, or the first time that uh, it says there a servant girl basically says he was with Jesus. And of course, how does Peter reply? 
No. Uh, on the first one, Tom? Yeah, on the first one. He said, I don't know him. Yeah, yeah, woman, I, I don't, no, I don't know him. Yeah, so, he, I, and I think part of uh, as we look at this, and probably what you would observe, is that he makes denial, but they become increasingly emphatic. Yeah, stronger. They, they do become very much stronger, which is what happens when you deny something the first time. You know, you keep denying the denying. You're either you're either going to back you're either going to backtrack and say, "Wait a minute, I shouldn't have done this," or your denials or whatever the circumstances are going to become stronger and so on. One observation that I just want to make about Mark's account of this, and this is recorded in Mark 14. Uh, uh, when Jesus is warning Peter, he says that the rooster was going to crow twice. And uh, only Mark records that. And we're told in Mark's account on this particular occasion, as Mark's 14 and verse 68, that after Peter denied him the first time, he steps out and the rooster crows the first time. So you got the warning. You, you, for lack of a better term, you got the the warning. Now, did did Peter actually hear the rooster on that occasion? I, I, you know, we're not told specifically whether he heard, but the fact that he's mentioned in that context, I would seem to think he probably did. And uh, but nevertheless, uh, you've got the warning. Okay, I made a mistake. I'm not going to do it again. And then it happens again, and it's really not too long after, based on putting them all together. It says a little while after this, somebody else saw him and said, you were with him, or, 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 or you're of them. And again, Peter says, and as uh, Paul pointed out, more strongly this time, you know, man, I am not. No, I'm not. So you, you probably have a little more emphatic. Uh, and then about an hour later, in verse 59, it happens a third time. and it, and and Another thing to notice about this is uh, that the accusations are stronger as well. You know, you know, we talk about Peter's denials becoming stronger. Well, you know, here, here, you know, this one sits there. Uh, 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 after an hour, she confidently affirms, uh, "Surely this fellow, he, he's with him, uh, for he's a Galilean." And I think one of the other versions actually says, "His speech betrays him." You know, you know, from the standpoint, I I can't see Peter while he's around this fire joining in on the condemn. If if Jesus was being condemned condemned by the crowd, I I don't see Peter joining in with them doing those types of a thing. If if anything, could it be that Peter maybe was gently trying to defend them or or defend Jesus? Or and again, we're not told. This is all speculation. Uh, you know, you know, you know, you know. Could he have maybe said one little thing in his favor? Could he have shook his head in disapproval or something like that? Uh, um, but whatever the case, more emphatically, you know, your speech betrays you. You're a Galilean. And and, and how does Peter reply that third time? Anybody? One of the other one of the other uh, parallel accounts uh, says that he cursed and said that he does not know the man. Here he says, "I do not know what you're saying," uh, and so it Luke's account of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I think Mark fourteen seventy one, and it may be in Matthew as well. It says there that he began to curse and swear. You know, and and both of those words, you know, when we think of the swearing, we think of an oath. And when you think of a curse, it would be pronouncing a curse. But it's kind of interesting. We use those terms in our English language to describe profanity. You know, and at least the way that they would be used here. But I don't think Peter was using profanity. I think this is, he was, when it says curse and swear, it's almost like he, at this time, in a strong way, maybe he even cursed Jesus or somehow or can curse the situation. And he, he with strong language, as as if an oath, you know, a rash oath or something. He he, he says, "I do not know the man. I don't know what you're talking about." You might pick maybe, uh, maybe Tom. What's that? I mean, if he was to have he said, was, maybe, was, um, maybe I swear I don't I know the man, I, and if I'm yeah. lying, let the sky fall the on sky me. Fall on exactly. Yeah, you know, some sort of that, that, curse upon himself, maybe. Yeah, yeah, a good point, good way to describe. It. So there's all kinds of ways to look at what happened. Any other, any other thoughts on that? 
Okay, but now here's the big thing. Uh, after this, immediately, while he was still speaking this, these, vo these words, the rooster crows, and Mark is clear to say the rooster crowed the second time. And uh, in verse 61, we have something recorded here that's not found in any of the other three Gospels. And to me, this is one of the most chilling thoughts in my mind when I think about this event. What happened when that rooster crowed according to verse 61? It says Jesus looked at him and saw him, and he saw Jesus looking at him. Exactly. Can you, can, uh, just picturing that in my mind, you know, I, 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 I see there a word picture, that rooster crows, and Peter gets a glance at Jesus, and there Jesus is looking directly at him. You know, uh, I said you were going to do it. What else would have come to his mind at that time? You know, uh, 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 you know he realizes it. He, he remembers the words of the Lord. And, of course, he goes out and he weeps bitterly, realizing the magnitude of what he has done, the magnitude of his denial. Pa uh, that's just a powerful verse right there to me. Uh, any, any other thoughts that you all have or anybody has in the chat or anything about this? Paul, I got one. So, or, go ahead, one John. Oh, sorry. Um, this is typical Peter, um, when you stop and think about it for a minute. Um, go all the way back to when they saw Jesus coming to them walking on the water. And, and they, they, they thought he was a ghost, and he says, you know, don't be afraid. And Peter says, if, you, if it's you, Lord, command me to come, and I'll come. So Jesus has come, and so Peter walks on the water. And initially, his faith is strong enough for him to walk. But then when the storms and stuff began to brew, his attention was drawn away. He looked away from the Lord. He sank. Um, and I think this is very typical of Peter. He, he speaks very boldly. He has great intentions. But then when he's put to the test, at least up to this point, he wavers. Now, he'll, of course, strengthen his faith as he goes throughout his life. But it's just a thought that I had. Sorry, Paul. And, and, and that's a great point. And, and, and you know what, John, actually, think about Galatians. He actually has a failing later on. He does. We you know, and, 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 and it's the same. It's typical. It, it would be typical of Peter when, you know, when he separated from the Gentiles, you know, when Jewish brethren were around. So that's a great observation about Peter. And by the way, Peter, in the Galatian account, obviously he had gotten better. He had gotten more bold and so on. But you know what? It's hard to overcome weaknesses. It, 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 it's hard for us to overcome traits that we have that we want to make them better or we want to change them, you know, uh, you know whatever it is. Uh, but we have to work at it. And, and sometimes we need to look at verses like this to remind us of that, which kind of brings me to uh, our thought question that we, we passed out to the chat room. Yes. Let's see. Let me bring that up here real quick. Here is the question that we had, that you had presented to the chat room. Um, what are some ways that we can be guilty of denying Jesus today? And so the answer came from Gregory again. He responds with, when we concern ourselves. Are we good? Yeah. When we concern ourselves with the carnal things of this world, when we focus on the physical versus the spiritual, we deny he that lives in us. It's a good point. Yeah. Um, Exactly, and, and and I think that that's a great way that we can be guilty of denying him. Uh, you know, I, I mean, you know, denial would be one way to betray him. Maybe not the strongest way. You know, obviously, what Judas did was stronger than what Peter did. You know, from the standpoint of you know selling him out and those kind of things. But 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 here we have we're just not willing to stand up. Uh, and 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 this is probably one that we're more likely to commit. 
you know, where we're, we're in that quote unquote hostile environment as we're associating with our workers, or if you're a student, you're associating with students and so on. And, and something profane is said, or, or some error is taught, uh, whether it be about Jesus or the gospel or whatever. And, and we just don't, we just don't stand up and defend our Lord. Or, or if we're in a difficult circumstance where there's going to be a consequence attached to it, will we stand up for him? And, and incidentally, I, I appreciate the comments uh, that have been made. I, my uh, camera froze up for a moment, so I, I don't know if, uh, if there was more than one screen that you had for, is, is it Greg there? Or, it's just one, or, one comment. Yeah, he yeah. just had the one screen, so I, I did see that, and I appreciate that comments. You know, does anybody here have comments about this? Paul? Tom, uh, I was thinking about this, that uh, in the agrarian societies, you know, uh, you'll hear the, uh, the rooster crow, and that means it's time to get up and get going. And uh, it's kind of interesting that uh, Peter was uh, woke up by a rooster uh, here. Maybe that'd be a good sermon sometime. Uh, and that he he received his wake up call in that way, and that his response was a good response. He goes yeah. up, he weeps bitterly. He's sorry. He has godly sorrow, and he's going to be ready uh, in a relatively short time to preach the gospel. Uh, he's not going to just abandon Jesus, and and uh, he he's going to do that uh, after having wept bitterly. He's going to go preach preach the word. Uh, in fact, Jesus said that about Peter. He says, uh, after you've been tested, how Satan desires to sift you as sweet, uh, you know, you go out and you uh, feed my sheep. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, one other thing I wanted to observe is, I think uh, when I was maybe younger and had a little more arrogance about me than I, <laughs> than I have now, not that I've escaped that entirely, uh, I always I, I wanted to picture myself like one of the Bible preachers. And I always thought I was probably a lot like Paul. Uh, out there, you know, standing for what's right, doing whatever needs to be done and everything. But but I really think that I identify a lot more with Peter, uh, that during even hard times, uh, we see that uh, he he had some struggles. Yeah. And, and, and that's uh, that's absolutely a great that's absolutely a great point, Paul. I uh, you know, if I were just to describe the demeanor of Peter, as I, I believe on this occasion and again, the words not used. But, but but I I believe that Peter was just absolutely devastated, you know, when he realized that he had denied his Lord, and and, and what he had done, and the Lord was exactly right, which is why it says he went out and he wept bitterly, and 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 I do believe that the last chapter of John, where Jesus is trying to, I believe Jesus is trying to restore Peter based upon these denials and so on, and um, and you you see the hesitation of Peter. Um, uh, when Jesus asks him, do you love me? You know, he, he doesn't want to mess up again like he did. So, so uh, any other thoughts with this particular section as we move on? All right, well, well, great. Okay, well, that brings us to the, the verses 63 through 71, the conclusion of this chapter. And uh, uh, this is where we find uh, the first half of the trial of Jesus. And uh, John, uh, do you want to read these verses for me, or can you read these verses for me? Sure, I would be happy to, Tom. Let's see, 63 to the end of the chapter is what you said? Yes. Now the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him, and having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who struck you? And many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led him into the council, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Hereafter the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then they all said, Are you then the Son of God? And he said to them, You rightly say that I am. And they said, What further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. 
Okay, thank thank you, John, for reading that. And and in this particular passage here, is kind of, this is where it becomes interesting to put together all four accounts of the gospel. This this whole area, you you get more details, and we're we're not going to do that uh, uh, for time's sake. From the standpoint, we're going to deal primarily with what Luke says. Uh, but there are some things that are worthy of mention. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the things that uh, comes to my mind, and this is my thought question for, for the audience, is um, when you look at the Jewish phase of this trial, what would have been some of the illegalities, or, or another way of saying that, what would have been some of the... Uh, uh, what would have been some of the improprieties or ethical problems, and in some cases actually uh, illegal according to the law, some things that happened in this Jewish faith. So, so if you can think of some of those, uh, I actually have a list of about seven, and I know it's not a complete list, uh, uh, that we will just kind of mention at the end of this little discussion. So if you've got anything you want to uh, put in there on that, uh, we can talk about that. But now that brings us to verse 63 through 65. And, and at, uh, at some point, what we find, according to the other accounts, is Jesus is carried away and he ends up in the house of the, of the high priest. And I think it's John's account that actually records two different high priests, both Annas and Caiaphas. And he goes to the house of Annas first. And uh, Annas was actually not the legal high priest or or the or the official high priest, the one that Rome, uh, the Roman Empire accepted, the outer high priest. Uh, uh, he was the, I think, a, a grandfather of, of Caiaphas or whatever. And uh, uh, he was, uh, he still had influence. So he's like a past president. Uh, only in this case, he has more power. Anyways, Sometime while that's taking place, what we read here is the way that Jesus is abused. And, and uh, in the different accounts, we find that there was multiple occasions where Jesus was mocked and abused during this trial process. And here we have early on, and we're still dealing with the Jews, and I think that's what's significant here, is where it says that uh, the men who held Jesus, they mocked him and they beat him. And it says uh, somebody blindfolded him, uh, struck him on the face, and basically mockingly asked him to prophesy, who is it who struck you? And uh, uh, they said many other blasphemous things against him. You know, now, now I just wonder, could Jesus have uh, answered? I would think so. Yeah, absolutely. I, I believe that Jesus, if he wanted to, he could have he could have mentioned by name exactly who it was and given even more detail than that, but he remained silent, which is one of the things that was prophesied about him uh, as a lamb that was led to the slaughter. You know, he remained silent, and you find that's an occasion for marveling all throughout this process when Jesus spoke up and when he did not speak up. But what's interesting about this is the fact that you've got the Jews that are beating him and mocking him at this time. And, and it's just the impropriety of that happening uh, here. You know, it was one thing for the Romans looking at somebody that had been condemned to abuse their prisoner. But here you have the Jews who ought to have known better. And uh, yet they're the ones who are in a blasphemous way abusing him on this occasion and jesus had just taken it uh, any other thoughts on that brian uh no you know i don't know uh how far we want to go into some of the trial uh irregularities uh because each of the gospels gives us a, a good number of details about these trials um as you say though jesus was silent for much of this uh, we did see him answer, and I don't know if you intend to address that or if I'm getting ahead of you, but one of the reasons, according to the Gospel of Matthew, that he answers is he was actually adjudicated, that he was actually put under an oath. Uh, Leviticus 5 and verse 1 speaks to the oath. Somebody must speak when they're under trial. So Jesus doesn't actually speak until that moment when he is, uh, right. maybe the term is adjured, uh, that he is uh, put under that oath that he has to speak. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and another interesting thing about this is, uh, you know, uh, we talk about the, this trial of Jesus. It can be broken down into either two phases 
or two main phases. You have the Jewish phase and you have the Roman phase. But even in the midst of those, there are there are what they call three different sub phases in each one of those. In the case of the Jewish trial, Jesus is first led away to Annas, who's not actually the high priest. And it's in his house when it's happening in the middle of the night. You know, just a lot of ugly things happening there that shouldn't be happening that way. And then Jesus is led to Caiaphas. And as I understand, uh, he's still in Caiaphas's house as opposed to the official council coming together where Jesus is officially put under oath in the morning. Uh, uh, but a lot of things are happening as this is unfolding. Uh, not recorded in Luke. Uh, they're searching for witnesses. Matthew talks about that. They finally find two witnesses who, who early on, who said that early on he had said destroy, he would destroy the temple and in three days rebuild it. Um, and they kind of use that as a charge against him. And the reason I say kind of is uh, that didn't stick. You know, they, they, they changed it as quickly as they could. Uh, uh, but that takes place. Jesus is just passed around as they're, they're in the homes of these high priests who have a personal stake against Jesus. Uh, bear in mind that Caiaphas in the Gospel of John was the very one who had said it is expedient for Jesus to die. John 18 and verse 14. And uh, yet here you find Jesus in the his house as they're looking for witnesses and as they're figuring out what to do before they before they bring him before the actual council for the official quote unquote trial or the quote unquote official trial that takes place. And that part of it is what we have in verse 66 of Luke. I, I believe this is the third section. Uh, some of the other versions used uh, talk about how the council finally came together. And uh, it says here that as soon as it was day, you know, they waited for daybreak because you're not supposed to try somebody in the middle of the night. Uh, uh, and, and so, uh, you know, as soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both the chief priests and scribes, came together and led him into the council. Does anybody find it interesting that as day breaks, the council is assembled. You know, I, I, I mean, the very idea of, uh, to me, this just, it just indicates that this was planned all along. You know, there was a lot of scheming that went into this. And you have that, that daybreak, the council is found together. And uh, what Luke records is basically the final statement. There are some other things that are said that that are not dealt with in Luke, and we're not going to deal with them because we don't, we're running out of time. But Jesus has asked, if you are the Christ, tell us. This has put you under an oath. And uh, how does Jesus respond? Anybody along this line? John? Basically says, I would tell you, but you wouldn't believe me. Exactly. And yeah, I, <laughs> you know, I would say yes, and you would say no. You're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, what's different about what I tell you now <laughs> than what I've told you all along? You know, and and like you said, and then you made the point there in the verse sixty-eight. You know, uh, 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 if I do tell you, are you going to let me go? You no. Know? Yeah. And, and, and but then he makes another interesting statement, which isn't a direct indictment, but indirectly. He declares who he is in verse 69. You know, he says after, you know, uh, you know what? What's going to happen is going to happen. But I'm going to tell you right now, when all this is over, you're going to see me sitting at the right hand of the power of God. And, and that's a statement in which Jesus is actually declaring who he is. You know, in a, in a, roundabout, in a roundabout way, if you will, if not a direct way. You know, I'm going to be sitting with power by the right hand of God the Father. But, of course, at verse 70, they challenge him either further. Uh, tell us, and I think some version, tell us plainly, are you the Son of God? And, of course, Jesus basically says yes. Uh, you, you rightly say that I am. And now, of course, the way, the way uh, uh, Luke records it here is that you say, that I am. Even in that statement, it's not very, very direct, but it's direct enough. 
Yeah. If, if the, it's direct the, enough. The, the term. Uh, go ahead, there, John. I should say the term rightly there in the New King James in this publication is in italics, meaning yes. it's added. So your explanation is right. He says, you say that I am. Yeah, 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 exactly. That, that, that's a good point. Yeah. And so as a result of that, what happens in verse 71? They, uh, they, they make the guilty pronouncement right there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What further testimony do we need? Uh, we've heard it from our own mouths. And, and again, you put this together with the other Gospels. He's guilty of blasphemy is, is what they accuse him of. And uh, he's deserving of death, I think the other accounts also tell us. I think it's Matthew's account that makes that point. So, so that's basically a summary of this of the Jewish phase of this trial. Uh, any other thoughts that you all have on that before we get to this thought question? I know we're we're at the top of the hour, but we got started about ten minutes late, so we'll, we'll get this finished within an hour. Uh, but, anyways, any, any other thoughts? Brian? You know, one, of the th one of the things that strikes me about the trial by night and early in the morning. Is I, I would I would suggest that and again this this kind of ventures into the area of more opinion. I would suggest part of this is they want to avoid the the scrutiny of the people. I mean, you do something like this at you know six in the morning, four in the morning, two in the morning, so that nobody can see what's going on. They don't. They want this to look like, or at least this is what I I kind of infer from what's going on. They want this to look like it's the Romans that are doing this. So yeah. they want to get him to pilot just as quickly as possible, so that when people are waking up in Jerusalem on that Friday morning, they're they're not going to hear that Jesus is in trial at the Sanhedrin. They're going to hear that Jesus is in trial before Pilate. And I can yeah. kind of see that there's a uh, there's a devious logic to getting this trial done just as quickly as possible to get yeah. him over to Pilate because they don't want to be responsible uh, or they don't want to look responsible for what's going to happen. And as I said, it ventures a little bit into opinion, but it. But it seems to me a very logical uh, assumption based on why they're handling this trial the way they are. Oh yeah, 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 abs absolutely. Um, uh, any any thoughts on that, John? Or no, I think um, the the only thing that came to my mind is about the statement again regarding you are the or are you the son of God. There is another discussion where Jesus reminds them that even David says that we are all sons of God. But that's yeah. not this this case in point, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I, I mean, they knew the claim that he was making. Yeah, you know, you know, and calling himself the Son of God, they knew they knew that he was declaring, "I am deity." You know, I am God. Yeah, and and yeah. Uh, and uh, 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 of course, uh, uh, they use that as a pronouncement. Uh, um, just a lot of bad things about this. So, so as we wrap this up. What is, uh, uh, does anybody have any answers to the thought question here about Ill illegalities before I just, I want to quickly run down my list. And I should have wrote these down for you, John, uh, so well, we can put them on a slide, but. That's, that's all right. Um, here was the question. What would you, what would have been some of the illegalities of the Jewish phase of the trial of Jesus? What was the charge against him in this phase? And Gregory responds with the following beating him before sentencing trial at night, as it already been mentioned, not having any reliable witnesses. Good yeah. It, yeah. And, and, and those are, those are some of the things that, that definitely come to my mind. You know, you know, the fact that it was at night, we've talked a little bit about that, especially in a capital crime in a capital crime. You, even if you have to arrest somebody in the middle of the night, and like I said, I understand that part of it, but to sit there and start scheming and using the trial uh, in the middle of the night, that's bad. The fact that they didn't have witnesses when they arrested him, you know, they were, uh, they were looking for charges. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, it's, it's one thing to arrest somebody when you, you know that they've done something and you're looking for the evidence to hold them. But it's a totally different thing when you when you don't really have the charges or you're desperately looking for somebody to to validate your charge. So so that those would definitely be ir ir irregularities or and also things that are just unethical, immoral, against the Jewish law and so on. The fact that the fact that Jesus was taken to the house of Annas and the fact that he was taken to the house of Caiaphas. And the significance of that, remember that I said in John 18 and verse 14, 
Caiaphas had already said he's deserving of death. So how can Caius be an impartial jurist, you know, against Jesus? He's already passed a verdict. And that tells you that this trial is nothing but a, it's nothing but a farce. So that's an illegal Ill, illegality. Again, at night, the, the, the false witnesses. And, and the other thing is the changing of the accusations. And this happens twice. Um, first of all, they find two witnesses that say, oh, he said he's going to destroy the temple in three days uh, and, 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 and then rebuild it. And they say, what do you have to say yourself about that? But then they said, we demand that you tell us, are you the son of God? And as soon as Jesus said, I am, they changed from the charge that he was going to destroy the temple to blasphemy. So here you have them changing the charges mid-course. You know, what was he arrested for? <laughs> and and, and uh, uh, so that's an outright Ill, Ill, illegality. And then they will change it again when they take him before Pilate even more so. Because Pilate could care less about somebody that had blasphemed the God of the Jews. And so they'll change the charges again before they go to him. And, uh, and you also have, being the fact that this is a, uh, 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 the, the, the fact that this is a, uh, the, the Jewish for uh, the Jewish phrase and so on. There's a there's a, or at night and as quickly as it happened. There's a rush to judgment. Where do we read about the defense of for Jesus? You know, somebody being appointed to defend Jesus. Jesus given an opportunity to defend himself. It's not there. So those are just some of the improprieties that I have uh, that I've thought of, and I know we could add others to it. There's actually some good articles dealing with this. Uh, that you can do some search on. Just talk about illegal Ill, illegalities of the trial of Jesus. Um, so, any other thoughts on that? Now that I'm done rambling, I'll just I'll just add that I also had um, Deuteronomy sixteen nineteen says you're not to take a bribe when it comes to justice, which yeah. is what they they paid uh, Judas for his his work. Right. Um, of course, the false witnesses. Deuteronomy nineteen sixteen says that in a trial you're not to receive the testimony of false witnesses. Exodus 32 and verse or 23 and verse 2 talks about a mob justice, which they, you know, use the crowds to to get the crucified verdict for him. Um, and and finally, to be put to death, uh, the matter if it was blasphemy, he was to be stoned to death. Uh, Leviticus 24, 16 would suggest. And right. that was to be done by the people that had accused him, too. So um, and, and those are just the straight out of the Bible, the illegalities. And as you mentioned, the Jewish illegality of their traditional trial system. Um, I think the only other one that I had that you might not have mentioned, well, you said rush to judgment, is you were required to wait a day, and you yeah. couldn't do it on a, the day before a Sabbath or the day before a big feast, which this is both, uh, yeah, yeah. because of that wait for a day requirement. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for pointing that out, because from a Jewish standpoint, that was a law that they had. You know, I actually read a, a, a comment on it. It was actually as I was preparing for this this morning or final preparations, the observation that was made is, is basically the way that the Jews had the courts, their court set up, it was virtually impossible to convict somebody and put them to death. In other words, they were so, they went so out of their way to make sure they didn't put somebody innocent to death that uh, it was almost impossible to get the death penalty. But yet here you have, in a matter of hours, Jesus is convicted or, or, or charged, tried and convicted without, you know, without just in a rushed, hurried fashion. And a lot of it has to do with what you said earlier on, uh, Brian. Uh, they wanted to get it out of their hands and into the hands of Pilate as quickly as they could. They wanted to get rid of Jesus and get rid of him now. So, so. Uh, good thought. You have anything, John, you want to add to this? No, that's, you're good. Okay, well, you're you're absolutely right. I'm, I'm good, as in I'm done. Uh, th th that's what I have on uh, Chapter 22, unless there's some other comments. No, um, and there's none in the chat room, so. Okay. No, it's, it seems terrible that we're about to take a long break right at this critical point in the study, but... Uh, 
uh, it's, uh, you know, it's what we have to do. It does, and, and it, it will allow us to take a little bit more time if need be than trying to, it's, it's kind of eating in a hurry. I'd rather take my time eating than trying to eat it yeah. all at once. And so speaking of that, it's almost yeah. lunchtime, so I'm starting to get hungry, I think. All right. Yeah. I, I, and, and, I, and especially when you consider how, you know, this, this is what our salvation is about. Yeah. You know, the, exactly. the, the events that are recorded here are just central to our salvation. We want to, uh, it, it does us good to take some time. I mean, we, we literally could spend months just on the ramifications of these chapters, uh, uh, you know, which we're not going to do, you know, uh, yeah. but anyways. Yeah, we would. But thank you, everybody, for your comments and 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 uh, our study that we we've taken the three weeks to deal with this particular chapter and uh, look forward to our continued study. Absolutely, and, Tom. I, I appreciate your um, your work with this. Thank you very much. Uh, for those of you at home, if you're watching this um, on you know through YouTube itself, YouTube.com/slash Truth Factor Live. Uh, take a moment and in the terminology of modern day video, smash the like button. That way you receive notifications when we start back in January. If you haven't subscribed to the channel, please do so. Um, you can also click the, the bell notification and that'll guarantee that you'll receive notifications as well when we resume in January. Thank you so much for your interest. And uh, we apologize for kind of the interrupt between studies. We all have our own individual lives and sometimes things kind of take precedence and we have to hold off on the study. And I, and I appreciate your willingness to stick with us through that. And if you're watching this at a later time, again, just thank you so much for your interest. Well, that's all she wrote for today. So let's plan in several weeks, <laughs> January the 9th. We'll continue with Luke chapter 23. Now that's going to be at 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time, which is the same as 12 o'clock Eastern Time. And that would be 9 a.m. on the Pacific Coast. And 10 a.m. Mountain Time. That's right here at live.truthfactor.com. Have a wonderful week.